0: Would you pray with me? Father, would you answer that prayer, please? you would tune our hearts to sing your praise. You would fix our gaze upon Jesus. It is easy for us to be distracted, burdened, pulled away from a clear vision of you, And so would you help us today? Would you answer the prayer of this song? Prone to wander, our hearts are, we admit. So would you fix us by your Spirit on you? And would you, Holy Spirit, be merciful to be our teacher and our counselor today as we go to your word? We love you. Make our ears and hearts ready to hear and receive what you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. You can grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8. That's where we're at in our study in Luke's Gospel. We're coming to a a pretty well-known section of the Gospels where Luke records Jesus teaching what is known as the parable of the sower. In fact, in our church-wide reading through the New Testament... Today's reading is Luke chapters 7 through 9. So if you are doing that in the morning, you've already read the text for today, so you're ready to go. If you haven't done that yet, here's your head start. We're going to get a few of those verses in 11 of them now. You only have two plus chapters to go. Um, But before we read, as we turn to Luke chapter 8, a bit of a context on parables in general. First, a parable is a particular kind of teaching method. It's a story crafted in order to make a point, usually a singular point, a main idea. And the goal of of this teaching method is to stir up those listening to consider something much deeper and much more significant using simple, relatable, understandable story. With most parables, the individual components in the story are given to help frame the story, but they don't themselves have a specific meaning unless it's explicitly explained. For example, there's another parable we read in the Gospels, the parable of the lost coin, where where, uh, the woman who loses the coin uh, cleans the whole house until she she finds it, searches everywhere, until she finds the coin, and when she does, she rejoices. It's part of a trio of parables. I once heard someone um, trying to unpack and maybe give more significance to the parable by saying, well, the table in the room means this, and the broom that the woman used, that means this in your life, and I'm like, no, it's a broom, and it's a table, right? In this parable, however, there are a few places where Jesus uh, unpacks a little bit more of maybe what some of the significant components are. So there are some, some components here, but they're still relating back to one main idea, one main point. So that's the first idea about parables. Second, parables have a context. Those who are listening to Jesus would have understood all the story and the references and the illustrations that he was using. These were common, everyday, relatable things. He was speaking to them in their context. So for us, 2,000 plus years later and half a world away, we might need a little bit of help understanding the ancient Near East agrarian society operating under the rule of the Roman Empire and what exactly some of these components mean. So there's context to parables. Third, and perhaps the most controversial of these three points that I'm giving you for the purpose, is the purpose of teaching parables. The reason Jesus uses them, he's very clear on that. We'll get into it in more depth, but, but it's two components. One, parables are intended to take what is otherwise mysterious and make it clear for those who are willing to hear. Make hard things easy to understand. But parables also do another thing. Parables also are intended to take what should be clear and obvious and actually obscure it for those who are unwilling to receive what they're being taught. They intentionally have both components. So we'll get into this a little bit more as we dig into the text, but I wanted to give you a little framework for parables in general. We've touched on a few uh, in the last section of Luke, and there's more that are coming as we continue through this next, these next number of weeks so we understand why is it Jesus is teaching in this way. So let's read our text for today. It's Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. All the way through verse 15. This is God's word for us today. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these, as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for the good soil, as for that in the good soil, excuse me, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is God's word for us today. Now, this parable is a parable of caution. Take care how you receive God's Word. And baked into this caution is a promise that God's Word will always bear fruit in hearts that receive it by faith. That's the promise baked into this caution, that God's Word will always bear fruit in hearts that receive it by faith. So let's dig into this. Verse 4, a great crowd had gathered. This is becoming a regular occurrence for Jesus now. Everywhere he goes, people gather. He can hardly go anywhere without a crowd. And people came from all over many towns to hear him. And so Jesus, looking at this growing group of people from all over, he begins teaching them with a parable. And that's our first point is just what is the parable? Verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. The birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and bore fruit even a hundredfold and multiplied. So let's stop there after the parallel. To understand this illustration Jesus is giving, we need to understand farming by hand in the ancient Near East region of Galilee. When we think of planting seeds here in our context, we see pictures of large machinery using GPS to maximize proper spacing in rows, right? Corn and wheat and soybeans and barley there is a careful and methodical approach to planting when we think of planting. But the Galilean farmer didn't have the benefit of modern technology, nor did they have the benefit of huge plots of very, very, very flat farmland, right? The North Dakota joke, like my dog ran away last week and I can still see him running, Right? <laughs> They didn't have that. That's that's not their context. That's our context. Farmers of their day would plant their crops along more narrow strips of soil. Sometimes there were small stone walls or dividers that would separate one field from another. You you planted kind of where you could plant. Often, often there were well-worn paths. Or you might call them roads, but they were probably paths. Compacted earth. And sometimes they'd run right through a, a series of fields or between them for foot traffic, for the herding of animals, maybe for uh, carts or tools. And so, so planting a field was less careful and meticulous and more broad and generous with seed so that you could maximize potential crop. You wanted to use every last inch of field that you could, hopefully to get some fruit from it. So the image here is we're thinking about the sower of seeds is less John Deere and more Johnny Appleseed. Okay, that's the picture I want you to have in your minds. And as he sowed, verse 5, the seed fell in all sorts of places. So Jesus is setting the stage for these people, helping them, uh, his listeners to understand something very Profound. That's the the basic framework for the parable. The parable is: there's a sower who's sowing seed, and here's what's happening as he sows his seed in his field. The next part—that's the first part. The next part is: what does this mean? And so, to understand its meaning, Jesus explains. Go to verse eleven. That's our second point this morning. What is the meaning of this parable? Specifically, what do the seed and the soil have to say? The seed, Jesus says, is the Word of God. In the Greek, this is the word logos. It's the same in John chapter 1, when John says, in the beginning was the Word, the logos. And the logos was with God, and the logos was God. Jesus is the living Word. Logos in the flesh. And He's given His Word revealed in the Scriptures the Logos written bears witness to the living Logos, Jesus himself. Okay? So the seed that is being sown, Jesus says, is God's own word. Often, when we hear this passage, if you've heard it before, or you've studied it before, often this passage is referenced primarily as an evangelistic parable. The sowing of seed is the preaching of the gospel, and some people receive it and some people don't. And while I do think that is an apt application here, I want to be careful not to only read it in that way, because I believe it means that and more. Jesus didn't say the seed is the Evangelion, the the gospel proclaimed. He said it's the Word of God. So I think it includes the gospel message of Jesus, but it also includes the the whole counsel of God's Word. Every word given to us in the Scriptures, every word, the whole counsel of God's Word in the Bible, every time it comes to us, when we hear it preached, when we read it with our own eyes, this is the seed being sown in the soil of our hearts. That's what Jesus is getting at. From our first hearing of the gospel to our Bible reading, maybe this morning or this evening before bed, to this sermon, the goal is the seed of God's Word is being sown. Jesus' parable highlights that the seed is the Word of God, the logos of God. And then he explains where the seed falls on the various soils. He speaks of the path, the rock, among thorns, and good soil and we're going to look at each one of those and try to draw out from them what they mean in the context and what they mean for us the path is is a little self-explanatory right think of a of a hard dirt road hard and compacted walkways around and through the fields that's the picture here it is dirt it is soil but it has been worn and pressed down So when the seed falls here, it gets trampled underfoot and gets snapped up by the birds before it can even attempt to put down roots. The the ground is too hard. Even if it could sit there and soak up some sunlight and get some water, there's no way for the seed to put roots down into that kind of soil. It's far too hard and dry. So Jesus says that path Relates to is equivalent to hearts that are hard. They are almost immediately resistant to God's word. It doesn't last long. It, it's heard and almost immediately rejected. This could be a reference to people who hear the gospel. Someone who hears the gospel, the seemingly foolish message, foolish message of Jesus crucified in order to save sinners, and they say, "Well, that's ridiculous. That's silly." and it's rejected out of hand. But it could also reference the person who hears God's Word or reads God's Word and responds like the serpent in the garden. Their first question is, did God really say that? Did He really mean that? And not out of doubt and wrestle, but out of unbelief, that person holds themselves and their opinion in higher regard than the plain reading of the text. This is the hard ground of the path. This is ripe picking for the birds or as Jesus says, easy pickings for the devil himself whose whole aim is seeking out someone to devour. And he snatches up God's word so that it can't even begin to take root. And so there's no hope for fruit here because the seed itself has been taken away. Nothing will grow if there is no seed. It's just dirt, right? That's the path. Harsh, cold, hard. Jesus says there's another type of soil. He says the rock. Sometimes in some of the other Gospels it's referred to as rocky soil, but the picture here, whether it's rock or rocky, is is one of shallow or thin soil. Perhaps there's too much rock and not enough dirt. Or could be, as is often the case, that there's a thin layer of dirt, but sitting just underneath the surface is a slab of stone. So there is dirt, but it's just not very deep. So the seed can germinate. Roots can start to spread, and it looks good for a moment, right? Next to a seed in deeper soil, they grow the same for the first little bit. But because the soil is thin and not deep, it can't hold as much water. It dries out much more quickly. And in the heat of the day under the sun, the promising seed fades because the roots aren't deep. So when the heat comes, it dries up. Jesus says the rocky soil is equivalent to the heart that first receives God's Word with joy and excitement And for a moment, it looks really good. The shoot is green, and there might even be some leaves poking up, and fruit would be the next thing. A flower would be the next thing you'd expect. But soon, challenge comes. Jesus uses the word trial translated into English, a time of testing. When that comes, the plant withers. When that comes, these folks turn away. This could be someone who hears the gospel and is at first very excited and wants to join all the things, right? They want to get connected to a Bible study. They take all their CDs they had in high school and they throw them in a bin and light them on fire. They, sorry, have you been to Bible camp? Um, that wasn't a shot at Bible camp. I went to Bible camp. I get it. This is the excitement that comes from, yes, I'm in it, I'm excited, I'm ready. But then it finally does cost them something, right? Right? A time of testing comes. Their newfound faith now causes a rift in their family, or now they are risking offending a friend or a coworker, and they wonder for a moment, "Is this worth it like I thought it was, but maybe I 'm not so sure. and it 's not just when someone first hears the gospel, although that's an application. When something is preached or something you're reading in the word. And there's a moment of conviction. Have you had this experience? You're hearing something and you're like, ooh, that wasn't for someone else. That that one's for me. Or you're reading and the underliner or pencil or mark in the margins or whatever you do and you're like, why am I underlining the whole section? Maybe this one's for me too. Right? If you had this experience... And you feel compelled and determined, this is now going to be different. I'm, I'm feeling conviction from this. I'm determined to change. I'm determined to, to do this differently than I've, than I've done it. I'm feeling conviction from the Holy Spirit. I want to pursue an area of growth here. Maybe you felt a burden to read the New Testament in 90 days, wherever that would have come from. But like so many good things, it's hard, right? It's, 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 it's discipline that we don't t- tend to have sometimes. It's reordering of priorities. So the sun of challenge and trial burns hot. And what was so convicting just a few days ago has already faded. I'm not even gonna to begin to talk about New Year's resolutions. Right? It's the seventeenth of January. How are we doing on that meal plan? Right? Fail. Right? In the heat of the day, it fades. That's the picture here. The tiny green shoot that was starting to bud but never quite got there. This is the soil among the rocks. He goes on. He says there's two other kinds of soil. There's a soil um, among, uh, seeds that fall among thorns. As an aside, Among Thorns was an alternative Christian rock band in the late 90s, early 2000s. They released like three albums. They weren't very good. I was alive then. I listened to them. Just believe me, they weren't very good. But I'm not talking about them among thorns. I'm talking about this soil. Seed that falls among thorns, likely near the edges of the field, perhaps in places just beyond the reach of the plow. Maybe it was up against another field or right next to the road. This is where the the weeds kind of grow along the edges. See, these were places where the soil might be deep and the soil might be good. But not just for your own seed, but for the weeds to grow as well. The picture here, too, is one of a prickly or thorny weed. I don't know for sure the kinds of weeds that would grow in, a, say, a first century wheat field, but I know what grows in my yard, not just the clover or the dandelions, but the various types of thistle. It's the ones that stab you when you try to pull them out of the ground, Right? The picture here is one of a weed that grows up right alongside with the plant you're trying to grow. The problem is the weed is drawing on the same resources that the plant is. It's sucking the same water and nutrients from the soil. It is absorbing the same sunlight, maybe even covering over the plants a little bit because for whatever reasons, weeds tend to grow really fast and get really big where the stuff you want to grow grows slowly Jesus says, the seed that falls among thorns does fall on good soil, but those seeds are often choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. This is the person who trusts in Jesus, but never grows in their faith. All right, let's look at those things that choke out cares pleasures, riches, and pleasures of life. Cares is one thing, right? It's easy to acknowledge the cares of life. The weight, the fears, the worries, all these things can rob us of joy. So that one's a little more obvious. The cares and worries of life. But it doesn't just say the cares of life. He includes the riches and pleasures of life as well. I think that this is anything Anything that would occupy our vision more than Jesus. Anything. Our joy in Christ is choked out by, an over, by overwhelming cares and by overwhelming comforts. By both. See, we fret and worry and we don't trust God, which tends to happen if our hearts are drawn towards worry. Or... We're fat and happy and comfortable in our lives, and so we don't really need Him. Both cares and comforts choke out our growth. So the gospel is heard, the Word is preached, your Bible is read, and there is an honest and sincere receiving of God's Word. But as Jesus cautions, there is likely little growth. Nothing really changes Spiritual depth and maturity is slow or non-existent because the seed has been competing for nutrients with the weeds. So either because of overwhelming cares, which draw our eyes downward in worry, or overwhelming comfort, which draw our eyes downward in self-indulgence, the seed of God's Word given to us so that we grow, so that it would bear fruit, it remains small, and Jesus says it does not really mature, doesn't bear fruit. I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. The writer of Proverbs says, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The choking out of spiritual growth because of both cares and comforts. That's the soil among seed that falls in the soil among thorns. Finally, Jesus says there's good soil. This is the soil that is deep and rich and full of nutrients. This soil has been prepared and is ready to receive the seed so that when it falls, when the seed does get planted, it can settle in where the birds won't snatch it up Its roots can go deep where there's plenty of water so that when the sun does come up, it doesn't wither. In fact, there's a beautiful picture here. The sun that in some cases would cause the the plant with no root to wither in this case is actually the cause of its growth. The sun comes out and the plant that has deep roots actually grows because of it without hindrance. Because it's not choked out by weeds Jesus says this is the soil the heart when they receive the word of God they hold it fast in an honest and good heart and they bear fruit with patience I don't know about you we tried to grow stuff this last year we started a garden some of it was successful you know what grew the most patience because it's slow and it's hard and you got to pull weeds all the time and you wonder, how did this get here? Right? Jesus says, those who hear the word of God when it falls on good soil, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The response to the word of God is to receive it. And not just receive it, but hold it fast. That phrase, hold it fast, has, has a connotation or a picture of strapping something down. Refusing to let it get away. That's the picture. I I can't help but think of another parable of Jesus that Matthew records. Luke doesn't record this parable, but Matthew does. In Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the one who finds the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, he says in verse 44, is like a treasure hidden in a field which man found, and then he covered it back up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has so that he can purchase the field because the treasure in the field is worth more than anything to him. He continues and says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who is in search of fine pearls, who on finding a pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the, the picture of the sea that falls on good soil. Jesus says, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the Word hold it fast in an honest and good heart. The soil is ready to receive what God's Word has to say. There is an expectation that God will speak through His Word, and in it we will find what we need. See, there's a humility here and a readiness to let the Word do its work. To, to let it put down deep roots. So when the trials of life come, because they will come, and when our faith is tested, it doesn't cause us to wither, but like a plant that needs the sun, the testing of our faith actually aids in our growth. And in fact, we cannot grow without the sun. What could be our undoing is in fact a catalyst for our maturing. So, the cares and comforts of the world are absolutely still present, but they are mercifully distant in comparison to the present power of God's word. This is the, the mindset, not on earthly things, but set on things that are above. This is the seed that falls on good soil. Verse 8 As Jesus said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear let him hear. I jumped around a little. We looked at the first part which is the parable and the last part which is the explanation of the parable and right here in the middle in the middle, excuse me, Jesus is saying, "This is why I'm telling you this. He who has ears, let him hear." That's our final point today. This is a parable about hearing and receiving the word of God. It's a caution if you didn't get it as we walk through the parable and the explanation, let me be clear. First, let us be aware we have an enemy who does not tire in his pursuit of our destruction. Okay? We need not fear Satan, but we can't pretend that he always isn't, uh, isn't always at work trying to steal and kill and destroy. That's what he does. We, we pray for you every week that the Lord would work power to deliver you from the evil one. To protect you from all his works and effects. He is our defeated foe, but he is a foe indeed. The word made flesh has crushed the head of our enemy, and for that and in that we rejoice. But we recognize his goal is to snatch from us what God intends to give us for our good. Second, let us be careful not to rely on temporary and short term emotional excitement. Right? We are cautioned, Devin brought it up a couple of weeks ago, kind of this Disney worldview, like, follow your hearts. Be all you want to be, your best selves. And don't mishear me, joy and peace and conviction are affections. I'm not saying this is an affectionless, a, a, a emotionless faith. I'm not saying that. These sorts of things, contentment and joy, peace, uh, Excitement, celebration for what God is doing. These are feelings stirred by the Spirit, but we are wise to make sure they flow from God's grace rather than just from within ourselves. See, the culture around us seems to subscribe to the doctrine of sola feels. It's not meant, I mean, it might be funny, but it's not meant to be funny. I think it's real. Sola feelings. What I feel, I do. It has the ultimate authority in my life. I filter all of my life through how does it affect me, including God's Word. And I sit above it with my structure of sola feels. Right? But Jesus is leaning into here what the Reformers called sola scriptura. He's not saying that. That came 1,600 years later. But the primary authority in our lives is God's Word. Holy Word, the written Logos, giving testimony to Logos in the flesh, Jesus Christ the Son. Third, let us be mindful that the pull of the cares of this world are real. They are real. These are the things that tend to choke out the growth of grace and maturity in our lives. What are the cares that tend to pull at your affections and your attention? What are the things that occupy your thoughts? often. I have many. And many of them are good things. My family, uh, working hard to to do my job well and meet the requirements that are listed on my job description, right? Thoughts of my family or my my neighbors or the things I want to do in my own, you know, better my own life of uh, eat better or exercise more or fill in the blanks, right? These can be good things. But far too often, any of these other things take too prominent a place, and they actually steal our joy. To quote a pastor and theologian, J.C. Ryle, I mentioned him last week, open sin is not the only thing that ruins souls. He says, unless we watch and pray, these temporal things may rob us of heaven and smother every sermon we hear. Ooh, I read that, I'm like, oh, that's, that's for me. Right? Be mindful of the poles of the cares of this world, both the cares and the comforts. And finally, let us consider the gospel promise in this parallel that the word of God will always bear fruit in hearts that receive it, that this seed will always grow in good soil. Notice the stark reality that fruit, what we would call faith, belief, or growth, only grows in one place. This isn't a threat. This is not a religious scare tactic. This is a spiritual reality that Jesus is unpacking for us. Look back at verses 9 and 10. He says, And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, before he explained the parable, Jesus said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, you might bristle at the narrow parameters for growing spiritual fruit, but Jesus is helping make plain something mysterious. To you, Jesus says, to you, to my disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. You want to know how it works, Jesus says? Here's how it works. The Word of God comes to you, and if your heart is humble and open and ready, it will put down roots in your heart. It will grow and produce fruit in you and you will grow. You will actually grow in things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. That can actually happen in you. That is very encouraging to me because that's not my natural state. I know me. That's the hopeful part of this reality, is that the gospel, God's Word, will always bear fruit. So, Lord, make my heart good soil. But if the Word of God comes to you, you read it, and your heart is hard or shallow or overly burdened by so many other things, then though we might hear the words or read the words, we won't understand them. It won't take root. There will be no fruit. That's just the reality. So let us consider the condition of the soil of our own hearts when we come to the Word of God. When our eyes and ears receive the Word of God, what will happen? What is the posture and readiness of my own heart? There are times when we might find some elements of all these soils in ourselves. You might be running the list right now and be like, oh, sometimes it's that, sometimes it's this, this morning it was over here. May the Spirit of God give us discernment May He convict us of sin. May He empower confession and repentance, tilling up the hard and stony and weedy ground of our hearts so that we will be ready to receive everything that He has for us from His holy and perfect Word. I pray we will all step away from this parable with a great sense of not just caution, although that we would as hearers of the gospel, but that we would respond with a great sense of awe at the powerful working of God to bring about growth and fruit for His glory as the keeper of the field, as the keeper of the garden or the vineyard, for our good, for our growth, and for His glory. Would you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge You are holy and righteous and good and perfect. And You are doing what You do in sowing the seed of Your Word. Would You speak to us clearly by Your Spirit, even this morning? Till up the soil of our hearts so that we might receive everything You have for us. Make us ready and in your grace would you grow us so that all the fruit of our lives might bear witness not to how awesome we are, but to how good and gracious and powerful you are to grow and give life and growth. That's you. Would you speak to us? Cause our hearts to respond in gratitude and in worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.